0: Welcome to What in the World podcast. This week, you get to hear the why behind HFL, as Jess sits down with Dave Lindell and asks the why, the how, and the future of HFL. So sit back, relax, and enjoy hearing how HFL came to be.
1: Hi, and welcome back to another week of What in the World podcast, a Hungry for Life initiative, where we talk about all things to do with global issues, development, and nonprofit. Um, Here today... Is exciting because we're covering what I think is somewhat of a foundational piece to Hungry for Life, which is the why and the how of how it got started. So naturally, we have the founder of Hungry for Life, Dave Blundell, uh, talking about his heart behind the organization and how it came to be. So, yeah, thanks for uh, coming downstairs. <laughs> to film this podcast. <laughs> you
0: bet. My one day in the office for the last year. Yeah, right? Yeah.
1: I feel like I haven't actually seen you around the office. Yeah. Thanks, COVID. Um, anyways, you know what? One day I'd like to make it through a podcast without mentioning COVID. It will happen.
0: It's sort of like the world before and after COVID.
1: Yeah, pre COVID, post COVID. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is yeah, this is gonna be basically Dave sharing a bit about his story and his heart and how Hungry for Life came to be. So Dave, let's start right at the beginning.
0: Uh
1: How, actually, I kind of want to know, just for curiosity's sake, how many of the staff that helped launch HFL off the ground Uh are still here today?
0: Yeah, like uh, quite a few. Like when you say the founders here, there was actually a group of founders.
1: Yes, do you want to name them?
0: Yeah. Um, well, there's Chad was there from the beginning. Chad Martz was there from the start. The group of founders, some of the founders were like kids in the youth group at the church when I was a youth pastor and were no people way. that we did ministry with at the church and HFL started and they just became the first team of either, you know, supported or volunteer staff. So, so Jerry and Charlene Stinson were and the group of founders. Chad Martz was there from the beginning. Ange Gertzen was there from the start. Uh, Heidi and I. So I would say that was sort of like the first group. Was Christy there too? Christy was there real close to the beginning. So yeah, I would say she was there right at the founding as well. Okay. And Kelly was there pretty close to the start. Uh, So there, Chantel, Jer's wife, worked for HFL. So a lot of the initial core team were people from the ministry at the church at the time.
1: Which is super neat to see them still here today. Like, Oh yeah. And Ginger, you're upstairs currently. Yeah. And who else? Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah, it's just an incredible thought that to be a youth pastor for about six years and then to still be working 20 years later with the youth group who are all around the world doing yeah. world changing stuff is a pretty, pretty rare, cool thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is really neat. Um so starting at the beginning, tell us what stirred in your heart and made you uncomfortable enough to start hungry for life.
0: Yeah, like all things, it's not one thing. There's lots of there's there's always lots of things going on around at the time and and at that time in particular, I was the thing that was stirring in my heart was the the North American Church. And what We now call spiritual poverty in the North American church. And so I would read my Bible and I'd see all these, read all these really great stories of God's power and presence in the local church. And then I would look at my youth, my ministry at the time and others in the general North American church thinking, why are we not experiencing the same power today that we're reading in scripture? And then growing up in a real missionary minded church, you would always hear these only in Africa stories. Right, like the missionary comes and right. talks about someone getting raised from the dead, yeah. or healed, or all mm-hmm. these other great things, and that's the stuff you read about in the Bible. And I was always intrigued by how places in the world that experience physical poverty is where we see spiritual wealth,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and North Amer- Church in North America, where we've got so many resources, experiencing spiritual spiritual poverty, and so that was the initial angst mm. of. Of hungry for life and and at the time we started an interchurch worship event that we called shekinah and that was to deal with our spiritual poverty and 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 while we were doing that and that was growing and there was people coming from lots of different places we wondered how could we how could we, we we were seeing in the bible so many passages of scripture that i was never really aware of before never really saw of course i read them but i didn't really see them And it was passages of scripture that talked about God's presence in our life is directly related to what we do for the least of these. Mm -hmm. And so we were praying, seeking God, worshipping. And yet something I'd really never been taught at Bible school was God's activity in our life is directly related to what we do for the poor and the orphan and the widow and the hungry. And so if we want to see more of God here... What can we do let's let's get in the live let's get involved in the lives of the the least of these Mm -hmm. and so that dual that dual passion or that dual hunger of hungry for spiritual life and there are people around the world that are hungry for spiritual physical life Mm -hmm. that was the initial angst
1: Mm -hmm. was it hard to okay well then you had to sort of pitch this this idea for lack of better words to to this group that we're calling like the let's call it the founder group yeah um, explaining it to them did they did it take some some convincing or was it immediate buy-in or how hard was it to actually get a group of people together to to feel that same angst that you felt
0: like a lot of visionaries you visionaries typically have one foot in the future All the time they're Mm -hmm. thinking about the future all the time they're thinking about what isn't yet all the time and so but they've also got to have one foot in the present Mm -hmm. if you're a visionary and you have two feet in the future you're you're not gonna go anywhere right and but and if you've got two feet in the present you'd also don't go anywhere and so I was really keenly aware that my mind and my heart and my passions Mm -hmm. were in the future but this was the group of people that we that we had. So, what could we just start doing with them, mm-hmm. rather than pitching the idea for an organization as the thing we were going to do? We just said, okay. "How can we start worshiping?" and "How can we start caring for the least of these in the world?" And that's an easy sell. Starting an organization, leaving your job, is a bit of a tougher sell. Sure. Because um, we didn't really know what that would look like, mm-hmm. so we didn't sell that. Mm-hmm. We what we sold or what we communicated to the people who we were had relationship with is how do we start how do we start seeking the face of God and caring for the least of these and that's what we started doing and so when it came time when it became apparent that there needed to be an organization that housed this it was pretty obvious to the group of founders Uh, yeah
1: speaking of that how did you come up with the structure of that so, like, actually, no. Back up for a sec. What would, What did those first few steps look like? You're like, hey, guys, let's let's put some feet in motion here. What were those first few steps? What did, What did they look like? Like, yeah. you didn't have the organization, so what did you do?
0: At the time, I was a youth pastor, and in our youth ministry, we we had a really vibrant, spiritually vibrant youth ministry, and mm-hmm. we said, okay, well, where where are there the least of these in the world? Where are the poor people? Uh, of course, there are the poor in our own community, but But sometimes you have to get outside of your frame of reference to be able to really see people who are in poverty. So we took a group of kids to inner city LA and did some inner city ministry. And then I took a group of kids a year or so later to, or around the same time, to Mm -hmm. Russia, middle of Russia. And we started doing some ministry there. And so they were kind of the typical youth group short term missions trips. That's Mm -hmm. that's what we started doing. Mm -hmm. And then when we started this young adult worship event called Shekinah, at that we started to collect offerings every every month when we would do it. And we started to figure out what could we do with this money for the the, the people who are the poorest of the poor around the world. And so we would connect with different organizations that were involved globally. And we it was right around the time of the war initially in Afghanistan. And, and it was right at that time I transitioned from my role as my job as a pastor. And I went and worked for a few years for a uh, parachurch Relief and Development Organization, to learn about how to do international ministry. Mm. And so from the money that we collected at Chicana, I took it on different trips around the world to Afghanistan and Guatemala, or not Guatemala, but Peru and some other countries. Mm-hmm. And we we just started to do these little micro projects. And then I'd bring the report back to this worship event and tell them the kind of impact that their money had. And people just mm-hmm. got excited. And that's that sort of became how we started living it out yeah. without starting a new organization
1: yeah I remember the Shekin events All they right. were great mm-hmm. yeah they were a lot of fun to attend and the reason why I work here so oh, cool um, HFL has a very unique structure to it that being the hundred we call it the hundred percent model which means 100% of money that a donor group gives to a project project goes exactly to that project mm-hmm. and HFL doesn't skim anything off the top so how did you come up with that, and why did you come up with that?
0: Yeah. Between being a pastor and starting Hungry for Life, I went and worked for another organization, a traditional parachurch relief and development organization. Their model was traditional. I put it that way, where where money that would come into the organization, they would take a percentage of it for, for overhead. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't like what I was seeing. I was seeing – I was seeing uh, – uh, lack of honesty about what organizations did with operate with with overhead dollars i saw fudging of numbers to keep our overhead percentage lower than the other organizations that were around us i saw inflating certain kinds of revenue so that we could keep more money and i saw i was i was told that if a donor wants 100% of their money to go to a project tell them that it does even though it didn't and and i i was just hearing so many people say reluctant to give to charity because they don't know how much of their money mm-hmm. actually goes there
1: mm-hmm.
0: and even if we somehow brought that percentage as low as possible so that we were lower than another organization i don't think that 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 wasn't the answer either because organizations have to run yeah. there, there's there's costs there are overhead costs it's not like the cost didn't exist and so we didn't decide to pay for it and mm-hmm. and 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 the 100 percent model and trying to get your percentage lower actually there's another danger to that which is that organizations that don't Organis- you kind of rob organizations of the money that it needs in order to have a healthy core and right. strong a strong infrastructure and investing in people. And so getting the percentage as low as possible wasn't the answer because then you, you, you cut off your ability to have the kind of impact that you want to have. And so mm-hmm. I thought about w- would there be a way where we could raise funds for overhead, separate from funds for projects, The organization I was working with at the time, their staff raised their personal support or volunteered, and that was working for that organization. And it's worked for many organizations Mm -hmm. for hundreds and hundreds of years. That's how missionaries have typically been funded. Mm -hmm. And so that's a biblical sustainable model. And so we decided, let's try. And when we started Hungry for Life, we thought, let's try and just communicate. If you want to give to projects, 100% of your money will go to projects. If you want to give to support a staff member, 100% 100% of your money will support that staff member and we need staff to run the organization. Mm-hmm. If you want to give money to overhead, photocopier, heat, light, bills, that stuff needs to happen in order for us to deliver on any of the projects. Mm-hmm. And people just got their head around the simplicity of that. Some people wanted to give to support a staff member. Some people definitely want to give to projects because that's where their heart is. And some some people say that's giving to overhead needs to happen in order to for the organization t- to be functional. So they got their mind around that so mm-hmm. the like I said there's always there's always kind of pick your poison you, you either have to deal with mm-hmm. the 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 negatives of taking your percentage from overhead or you have to deal with the downside of a 100% model and there's yeah. there's there's dangers and pros
1: and cons to both for sure yeah,
0: pros yeah. and cons to both yeah but but the model that we chose resonated with a whole lot of donors right off the start mm-hmm. and so we just kept going and kept doing that
1: yeah um, looking back at the inception of HFL and the ide- ideologies that you had back then, would you say, 18 years later, we are where you thought we would be? Or did you have those? Like, did you, did you think, ah, oh, in 20 years, this is where I want to be? Do you, do you feel like we're on that?
0: I think the answer to that question is our vision. So our vision is a world transformed by a global movement of compassion and justice, evidenced by the eradication of needless suffering. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what we call that the legacy goal. That's where mm-hmm. we want it to be when we're all all old and retired and in our old folks' home. And so that's that's mm-hmm. still what our vision is, and that's still what motivates us every day. How we're going about that's changed over the years. Mm-hmm. In many ways, I would say, yeah, we're we're we are we are doing exactly what I dream we would be doing. 20 years ago or 18 years ago okay yeah the idea of of it 20 years ago um i think that over the past 18 years things have changed among our the groups that we work with the access to the world's gotten so much easier Mm -hmm. there's there's been changes in the world that's impacted how we go about our work yeah but the general the general principle is has been the same and i'm thrilled with what god's done over the last 18 years
1: yeah i'm just thinking like if I were in your shoes and I had this ideology of how I wanted an organization to be and what cause I wanted it to focus on. And I would, I would have issues micromanaging that. (laughs) Like I would have problems relinquishing any kind of control and bringing staff along because it's like, it's like this vision and it's very specific, but like I feel like HFL has done a very good job at at, at adapting to external situations and uh, internal like, God has obviously placed certain people in this organization who have brought different ideas that maybe have changed the trajectory a little bit. But like you said, the vision has still remained the same. Mm-hmm. And that you can hang your hat on, I would say. like, yeah, Maybe the methods have been altered a little bit. I don't even know if they have been, but, but yeah, the vision is kind of
0: sure. there to stay. Yeah, the methods should always change based on yeah. what's going on around mm-hmm. us in the last two years has showed us all that for sure shine a spotlight on that, that reality. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the vision stayed the same. It's still what propels us. It's still what we work towards. We still have a vision to see a world without needless yeah. suffering. Yeah. And we may never never see that in our lifetime, but that's still what's motivating us every day. Uh, and if we have a vision that big, it means that we need lots of people involved and mm-hmm. there's no way you can have lots of people involved if you're a micromanager. And I had to learn that. <laughs> I had to learn that because, and I'm still learning that, that's something that is not something... That you grow out of as a leader there's always the temptation to do that but as the organization grew I had to grow my leadership so that I wasn't a micromanager and and that's been that's been a journey and hard some days but I'm pretty thrilled that today there's lots going on in the organization and around the world that I have no idea about and that's that's a that's a pretty great thing
1: that would have taken a lot of yeah, evolution and, and thought on your part as a leader, which kind of leads me into Fullwell a little bit because yep. um, Fullwell is a, a branch of Hungry for Life that two years now?
0: Just over two years we started, yeah.
1: So what need did you s- see had to be fulfilled through Fullwell?
0: Related to our vision. At that time, a few things were kind of going on. All around us one of those things was was HFL grew really quickly for the first eight years and then for the next eight years we sort of just bobbed along Mm. and still having an impact still still doing what we were doing but we didn't see the kind of growth we saw for the first eight years so we started to ask questions about that Mm -hmm. also what was going on was leaders in in our international partners all around the world were saying to me one in particular gave me a good slap upside the head and said You know, all these projects that you help us with are great, but unless you invest into us as leaders, the projects are not going to be sustainable. Mm. And that was a huge wake-up call for me that we had done so much through these leaders, but not enough for those leaders to help them to develop. And so that was also happening at the same time. Also, my heart and what I wanted to give the last part of my career, the the last half of my career working career towards was changing as well because our vision is a need without need our our vision is a world without needless suffering Mm -hmm. we're not going to do that on our own as an organization Mm -hmm. that's just way too big Mm -hmm. and so how do we multiply how do we multiply hfl how do we how do we speed up vision fulfillment and and so we were starting to have those conversations and saying rather than rather than try and make hungry for life bigger so that we can have a bigger impact we said, what if we multiplied Hungry for Life and helped other charities have a bigger impact? And so we teach a man
1: a fish, essentially. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's so many medium to small charities that are kind of stuck in mm-hmm. medium to small. And what if we could help them grow in similar ways that HFL grew? Mm-hmm. And that way, we could help their we could help them do more international development. We can help their projects grow and increase, but we don't have to manage those projects or those staff. Brilliant. And so. <laughs> I, that was developing in me at the time. I wanted to multiply my leadership in leaders of other organizations. So all of those things were kind of swirling around at the mm-hmm. time. Staff and the board started talking about all of that and what it meant. Mm-hmm. All the way from maybe HFL needs a different leader if it's gonna have an, a, a, an eight years that looks different from the last eight years. And so I put my leadership on the line and said, if Hungry for Life you needs- did, a, hey? Yeah, if Hungry for Life needs a new leader in order to have a bigger impact, I'm more than happy to step out of that. Oh,
1: man.
0: And, but as we talked that through and prayed that through and just listened, everybody sort of coalesced around this idea of starting something that would multiply the ministry and the lives of other leaders and organizations as a way to grow our impact Hmm. and still continue to do what HFL has always done at the same time.
1: Yeah.
0: And that became Fullwell Leadership.
1: Um, another question I have for you. Sure. I'm just deciding. I'm, I'm staring at my notes, so there's awkward silence because I'm just <laughs> deciding which one would be the best question to ask. Uh, if you could identify four immovable <sighs> pillars of hungry for life, what would they be?
0: Yeah, I'm really thinking that I should have asked you for these questions before today.
1: I gave them to you before today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you did? Okay. Yeah, you probably did. Um. Uh, Four immovable pillars.
1: I just threw you under the bus. That wasn't nice of me. That's okay. Sorry. I just threw you under the bus and made it look
0: like you weren't prepared. Um, yeah, you did. I think. <laughs> oh, wow. I think one of the immovable pillars would be working with field partners and working okay. through local leaders rather than starting our own offices in developing countries. Like, we don't want to have HFL mm-hmm. Haiti, HFL Guatemala, HFL Kenya. There are why because there are incredible leaders there doing great things already that know how to speak the language, reach their people, and why don't we just know work their culture them? They know the their, best? They know their culture the best, yeah. and they're trying to do great things with such little resources. What if we resource them? Yeah. So, I think that that's an immovable pillar. I would say an immovable pillar would be the 100% model. I don't understand yeah. how we could go backwards in that and and charge a percentage on project dollars in order for us to, to do our thing. I think we were one of the first organizations to have that model and I think so many donors have responded well to that. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not easy sometimes and I think that there's probably other ways now 20 years later where we could invest better in the core so that HFL can have a bigger impact. But I think trying to go backwards on a 100% <clears throat> model I think would be an immovable pillar. You'd have to pry that out of my hands. <laughs> um,
1: Okay, you're doing well. You got two out of the four.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you want me
1: to tell a joke so that you can think of yeah, more? Yeah, please. No, do. I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't have any good jokes. <laughs>
0: um, what would be another immovable pillar? I think the connection between our spiritual lives here, the the spiritual poverty here and physical poverty there. The idea, <clears throat> uh, yeah, definitely, an immovable pillar, would be the if if we had to stop. Engaging people from here in the lives of people from overseas, because okay. when we take people there, their lives are transformed spiritually. They come home, yeah. increase the spiritual temperature of their church or group.
1: I was curious to know if you were going to say t- like teams or sending yeah sending for people. sure. Yeah. I mean,
0: the the yeah, but to that is COVID, and it's made it really hard to send teams. Yeah, but I think and, and it's and it's going to take a long time before we get back to where we were there. But mm-hmm. I think if if we were to just focus on the physical poverty overseas rather than our spiritual poverty in the church at home that would be an immovable pillar Mm -hmm, we're gonna we have to go about that different now for sure but but that would be something that would be uh, a core value as it's one of our core values Mm -hmm. so (laughs) trying to narrow down to the last one
1: if you want we can leave it at three those are three good ones
0: yeah Mm -hmm. let's do that
1: okay um let's go back to the other What's, what's most important, and maybe we kind of answered this, but what's most important for you to see come out of Hungry for Life? Mm-hmm. Like, say you're at the very end of your career, you look back at Hungry for Life and all that it's done. Personally, what mm-hmm. would you see, what would you like to see come out of it?
0: Uh, a world transformed okay. yep. by a global <laughs> movement of compassion and justice, evidenced <laughs> by the eradication of needless suffering. And that, That's our vision statement, that's our vision everyone. Statement. <laughs> You just asked a perfect question that helps organizations figure out what their vision statement yeah. is and and that 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 involves obviously we're not going to eradicate needless suffering in the next few years, but we we already have, and I would want to see more stories of that's my phone ring.
1: <laughs> it's all good. <laughs>
0: uh, I would want to see churches revived here. Spiritually, and as a result of that spiritual transformation, here that they get continue to get in the lives involved in the lives of those that are starving physically in other countries, and and so a revived church and a transformed world is still what wakes mm-hmm. us up every day.
1: That's mm-hmm. That's almost kind of a silly question now that I think of it, because of course the answer to that would be the, <laughs> our vision statement.
0: Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Um, how important is it for you to keep a close? keep close ties to the grassroots of an organization. So this is kind of like, you know, in my mind, like Hungry for Life has done a really good job at staying close to its roots, staying close to its original um, values and donor groups and people and international partners. Um, you need a lot of, of staff capacity to grow and does that mitigate the the grassroots efforts? And how important do you think it is to stay close to the grassroots versus maybe let's say growth? I don't know if you can separate the two or. What
0: do you mean by grassroots?
1: Like um, like it's a very like it it this came out of an idea with a few people mm-hmm. and that's what I would call grassroots. It's very organically mm-hmm. grown and. Um, some would say that might inhibit growth if you're trying to maintain mm. that mm-hmm. grassroots network of people network of like even maybe the 100 percent model mm-hmm. i'm not sure like how so how closely would you say that you would like to keep those ties to to like kind of its inception yeah that's a lengthy
0: worded question, but no, it's a great question, and it because every organization has to deal with that if it's going to grow its Im- grow its impact, and so yeah,
1: because there's always going to be compromises, yeah,
0: yeah, so and, and it means that the way that you go about things change mm-hmm. it means that your leadership team changes, it means that there's got to be there's got to be the changes that enable growth. Mm-hmm. however, if you do that too quickly and it, and you don't do that well, then you lose the people who made it what it is, that that yeah. support it based on that original vision, yeah. that were there from the start. And so the that, that, that's all about how to go about managing change in a way that takes as many people along as possible who were there at the beginning. That doesn't mean that you take everyone that, that was there at the beginning, because mm-hmm. that's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. But it also means that when you go about change, you have to Again, have one foot in the future of what it is you're trying to change and the why you're trying to change and what it is you're trying to accomplish, but one foot solidly placed in the reality of what is. So mm-hmm. you can bring as much of those grassroots with you as possible. And Because change too quickly stops momentum. Not changing right, yeah. stops momentum. Yeah. And so it's that, it's that yeah. working the reality of that out day to day that... Is important and so Mm -hmm. so again if that's not that's not a formula there's no there's no there's no magic way to do that Mm -hmm. that but that that's what I would say is important is is holding on to as many of those initial founding principles as possible without getting stuck and without without yeah without getting stuck and not not changing with the changing times. COVID is a perfect example if we stayed true to what we were doing and saying, we're not going to do anything because we can't send teams and we can't do mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but because so many of the people who were here from the beginning are so experienced, we were able to change so quickly and respond to that and still right. be able to have an impact.
1: Right.
0: So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah,
1: it does. And I think, and this is getting a little off topic, but like when we did, I've talked about this before, the yeah. SDI with our staff, um, we all just kind of understood our strengths and weaknesses a little bit better. And I think that helped um, visualize the visionaries versus um, the-
0: Leaders and managers.
1: Thank you. And how much they need each other Mm -hmm. in order to Mm -hmm. maintain that level of grassroots and growth.
0: Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And leadership and management, I mean, it's such a great topic right now, and leadership—such a great topic—and people who are talking about leadership are kind of down on management, and that's unwise. Because, totally. Yeah. I mean, if an organization is undermanaged, it's not going to grow. Mm-hmm. If it's overled, it's also not going to grow. You need you need the the, the people who are leaders, and mm-hmm. you need the managers to be able to do the day to day of the operating of the organization and, and
1: keeping the leader keeping the leaders and visionaries grounded right because yep. sometimes the leaders and visionaries can get crazy ideas and go off and do this and they're off in the sky yep. and the managers are like yo you forgot to do xyz for all the steps and now you kind of cut ties with their donor groups like you've lost people
0: yeah 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 you get in you get in trouble with regulatory bodies you mm-hmm. yeah you uh, an over-focus on either leadership or management still paralyzes the organization. Right. And so both yeah. are needed in order to have, to see the vision become a reality. Yeah. A vision without management is just a dream. It'll only ever be in my head mm-hmm. or in visionaries' heads. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, you you need the managers who work alongside a leaders in a high degree of respect and appreciation for each other in order to make a dream actually happen. Mm-hmm
1: hmm i I digressed a little bit, and I'm trying to pull it back. It's a good digress. <laughs>
0: um
1: last question just to cap it off here yep. in ten years, where would you like to see h f l would you like to see I'll just give some examples mm-hmm. satellite offices in North America uh more staff more field partners, or take it however you want
0: sure. Yeah, we, we, would, we would love to see HFL grow. And to do that, we need more staff. Staff has always been our capacity limiting factor, yeah. which relates to our 100% model. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's a hard sell to get. It's not a hard sell to get staff to work for Hungry for Life. That's super easy. It's a hard sell to get staff who are committed to raising their personal support or volunteering. Mm-hmm. And while that's propelled our growth, it's also held us back from other aspects of growth. And so, I would love to see the ability to have staff be more financially sustainable within the organization, and some sort of a hybrid model that 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 gives us the ability to recruit and and retain staff better than we've been able to so far. And so, we're kind of working through what that could look like. But that's what I would love to see for for HFL. And if that means we have. Satellite offices in other parts of Canada or other resource-giving countries, that's always been on the table as a potential source of growth. Mm-hmm. While that's happening, I think that if we continue to put our effort into helping other charities have a bigger impact, we're speeding up our vision fulfillment. Yeah. And so, yes, I'd love to see HFL grow. Based on what I just said, I would love to see more staff here, and we're always looking for ways to do that and strategies to make that happen and 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 then we'll also continue to work on helping the leaders of other organizations grow and have a bigger impact because we'll see vision fulfillment a whole lot quicker so in 10 years i would love to see both of those addressed and have hfl continue to grow and be impact more impactful as the facilitating experts that that it is, mm-hmm. and a really strong group of people who are behind the scenes helping the leaders of other charities here in Canada and our international partners develop their leadership skills so that our international partners are starting projects with their own resources and people. They're not dependent on outside resources in order to see community transformation because God's already given them all the resources that they need for community transformation without the help of outside resources mm-hmm. sometimes they just don't know it see it or believe it and so as we develop them as well we'll see lots of projects and lives transformed as a result of of those leaders so i i would say that's where i would love to see us in 10 years is a a, a stronger hfl doing more of project facilitation and full well continuing to grow its impact by seeing lots of charities get bigger
1: love that yeah well, thanks for sitting down, and I think this is very insightful, and, and I hope that um, people gain some some insights to how and why we do what we do. And if you want to come work for us, <laughs> here's my call to action. <laughs> wasn't planning on that, but you know, <laughs> there is a careers page Absolutely. on our website. Uh, yeah, I wasn't planning on a call to action, but there it is for you. There's um, always a call to action. Yeah. Right now it's recruitment. I'm just deciding this. Perfect. (laughs) And yeah, that's all. Thanks again for sitting down. I'm sure we'll hear more from you down the road.
0: Great conversation (laughs) as always.
1: Have a good day, everyone. Bye. (laughs) Don't put that in.
0: Thanks for listening to What in the World? Where we seek to educate and inspire. Here at Hungry for Life, we are passionate about your group having a global impact in eradicating needless suffering. For more information, head over to our website at hungryforlife.org and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and wherever you may listen to podcasts. Tune in every other week for another conversation about what is happening at Hungry for Life.